Hey folks, and welcome to the Daily Ratings Podcast. It's a show where each week we'll sit down with Vincent Daly to get his thoughts on the latest movies he's been watching, both older films and new releases. And don't worry, there's no spoilers. Vince will give a brief review of the movie, share some thoughts, and of course, then rate the film. The daily ratings are always fair, honest, and most importantly, they're consistent. On today's show, Vince will be rating and reviewing Top Secret, directed by Jim Abrams, David Zucker, and Jerry Zucker, Sid and Nancy by Alex Cox, The Assassination of Jesse James by Coward Robert Ford by Andrew Dominic, The Hurt Locker, directed by Catherine Bigelow, and finally newly released, Thor Love and Thunder, directed by Taika Watiti. So stay tuned and enjoy the show. Mr. Vincent Daly, how we doing, buddy? Hey, Tommy boy, how's it going? It's going okay with me. How was your uh, How's your array of movies you had? Uh, week was good. Uh, array was good. Uh, obviously, continued the comedy sprint with the uh, uh, Abrams and Zucker's. Uh, yep, the trio. Of course, uh, had a had an interesting kind of modern or semi modern western. Not necessarily mm-hmm. a modern western by styling, but uh, an old school western, uh, but with modern style uh, with modern uh, actors. Yeah, I kind of liked you did this one. Yeah, and if, 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 I have not seen it. Which... Yeah, it's kind of been a cult classic, honestly, of its own. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, that that was on my list yeah, forever. Big actors. Yeah, and it's kind of well received, but it's just something that I never really. Mm-hmm. touched really yeah. ever exactly because like you said it's a modern day made western but it's not a modern western mm-hmm. which is separate absolutely like it's something hel- that we've like, talked about many a times because mm-hmm. it's like like hell or high water mm-hmm. modern western modern western yeah 310 to yuma western in made modern <laughs> right or at least a newer one at least yeah, a newer yeah. one. so and that's one of those but i kind of like the variety the, the variety that we have here and of course uh big release yeah, for the thor release, yeah. you know what i mean uh, a-list <laughs> marvel like... is back we don't got b-list we don't got c-list it's a-list marvel we'll see if it, it all pans <laughs> out <laughs> for mr hemsworth well, let's start with Top Secret, mm. back in 1984, and this is the tree, the comedy trio mm-hmm. that did Airplane, and this is directly their next film that they did? Yes, uh, so very oh, that, interesting. Makes sense. Yeah, very, well, uh, what's interesting is that in 82, we have Airplane 2. Not right, 80 even, Airs Airplane, mm-hmm. 82 Airplane 2, yep. and they, they're nowhere to be seen for they're it. They're nowhere to be seen. They're not even on a writing credit or anything like that, and it's... It was fascinating for me because, again, in kind of uh, preparing for this four film sprint with uh, with them and yeah. kind of studying their their comedy chops and this this trio of directors that have stayed together through thick and thin. How the hell do you not go back to your franchise? You know, what I mean, there's this. I mean, kudos to them. It's 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 kind I of actually a gangster like move. It. Yeah, well, it's kind of like a like. It's it's capturing it's capturing lightning in a bottle twice. Yeah, or, or yeah. only once. Basically, sure, and sure. Then they understand that, that. and yeah. it's them just like okay, well, we did every single joke we could in this mm-hmm. airplane. Mm-hmm. That's it. We're leaving it. Yeah, and yeah. let's move on to something else. Exactly. How was that something else? Uh, so yeah, uh, top secret. Uh, back four years later with a exclamation point uh, on the title as well. <laughs> uh, what's interesting is again, like I said, there's there's no return to the sequel. 
the cast of Airplane returns for the sequel, uh, but there's no really returning cl- uh, cast, especially like a Leslie Nielsen or something like that, coming over to Top Secret. Right, which, okay. Once again, there's not even year conflicts. You'd think they would want to stick with some of their actors, play into the branding I of it. I agree completely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think overall, uh, you know, I was, I was lukewarm on this film, and hopefully I can kind of illustrate how we go from the heights, pun maybe intended, mm-hmm. with Airplane to to dive all the way down uh, to where I where I kind of feel Top Secret lands for me. Okay. Uh, also, the very first movie for Val Kilmer, like, like the that, very first uh, credit. That's unreal. <laughs> yeah. That's so unreal. Yeah. Uh, so uh, he kind of he plays a rock and roll musician uh, invited to East Germany and is caught up in a spy plot. This film is uh, very much satire. This is very much tongue in cheek. Um, the movie has. A lot more story structure than Airplane, uh, which I would Mm. say right off the bat clocks back its absurdity where Airplane was almost – it is very very loosely held together by the airplane as the setting and then it's just jokes out the wazoo. It's true. It's almost the perfect setting, that airplane. Mm -hmm. Because if you just want to do joke – if you want to do a shotgun blast of jokes for an hour and a half, what better to be stuck in a – a small confined space, basically, because <laughs> yeah. you can't go anywhere yeah, with, the, with the script other than that. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, and for that reason, does uh, it lack in? Does it lack in funny? And it's just like because the story can't be that great. Right? I, I think, and, and I'll, I'll maybe say this a few other times in the review. I think my my temperature on Top Secret is that it's the same exact DNA of this comedy writing. Mm, yeah. It's just less jokes and therefore it's rolling the dice less uh, to let those jokes land for the audience. Where with Airplane, there's plenty of unfunny things in Airplane, but right. it's constant and it's just, and again, like you said, the shotgun approach of this, mm-hmm. it, more things land. It casts a wide net so more is going to hit uh, because it's simply, you, you know, rolling more. You also said it's so constant where it's not that you were more and more getting more annoyed with with it it was mm-hmm. at first you're like what is this to you're cracking a smile to mm-hmm. okay now you're just laughing out loud exactly and it's less chance for that probably in top secret yeah there's less of a uh, of a wear down um uh, <laughs> and i mean that because uh, sometimes the comedy of this it's it's you know by no means what i call either of these films you know, highbrow. You know, there's plenty of unfunny yeah. or dumb things in both of these films. But again, it's a commitment it's, to it. Yeah, it's it's packed to the brim. It casts a wide net with airplane, and there's just simple, simply less uh, rolling of the dice to see if something lands with Top Secret. And in place of that, are musical sequences that are slightly comedic, but are losing arguably one of the backbones of their joke telling which is verbal jokes yeah on top of that this this spy plot structure this east germany you know cold war kind of spy casing around it does have a lot more structure to it than airplane and that obviously eats up more times where that could be filled in with jokes then right of course yeah uh, that really is central to my my critique for this folks uh, is that it's just very simply telling less jokes therefore less land uh i can't stress enough i mean if you are ranking higher than my very high praise for airplane uh guess what 
their jokes, uh, this writing team are still 100% here. So if you, mm-hmm. I mean, if Airplane is your like favorite f- movie, it's your bag. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This this might be a decent watch for you. That that really is core uh, of really almost every one of my thoughts of this films. It's same writing, just less frequent and unfortunately less funny for that reason. If that makes sense. No, absolutely. Yeah. And the plot itself, how is it? Like, is there somewhat of a glue that holds uh, it together? Like, yeah, it's. Uh, I, I don't know. Um, it's 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 odd. I mean, Val Kilmer is this like rock and roll, uh, like kind of rockabilly, rockabilly pop star, teeny bopper vibe uh, mm-hmm. that, that he's coming to East Germany. A lot of that is just uh, the outrageousness of him misunderstanding, you know, the the very button up communist culture uh, of that sure. of that area. I think there's a lot of similar. You know, physical humor jokes. There's a lot of visual jokes, a lot of visual comedy to it, much like Airplane. It's just that in between that, we have a. I mean, I wouldn't say the spy plot is ever serving a actual story or the comedy or anything but the comedy, but there is a structure there where with Airplane, that was just simply not the case. I think there are uh, some positives are there's some more ambitious sequences, which I think if there was any reason to watch these films sequentially as the directors, uh, you know, were uh, releasing them. How they evolve. Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was a plus. Uh, there is an entire scene in reverse out of nowhere. <laughs> uh, and I mean, there's a lot of coordination there. Um, and then there's a great great underwater fight scene that then slowly they move in the set to be a saloon and then it is a saloon underwater (laughs) fight scene it's really good but you can tell like they were in the writing room or or they were maybe even storyboarding this and and they're pushing the envelope of what they're doing with the director and i think that tells a story in itself from them turning down airplane two or whatever happened whatever happened right yeah i honestly don't know the whole the whole track record of it did this start to feel almost like this trio was becoming very Mel Brooksy and or for that matter Money Pythonish. Yeah, there's there's an attempt for smarter comedy for okay. sure. Uh, the, the, but you, you have dialogue now, or you have more of a story. You mm-hmm. said if they're doing musical numbers, that reminds me very much of like Mel Brooks stuff. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And there's a lot of musical numbers yeah. in this. Uh, I don't just know because if I would like that. Yeah, it's it's tough because. The musical numbers, the the songs themselves mm-hmm. are mildly funny. Okay. Uh, it's not like a weird owl that it's like the whole thing's a pun. It's just kind of like a, it sounds like an out of place fifties rock and roll song. Okay, gotcha. You know? Like the one is about buying shotguns and going surfing. You know okay, what I mean? Yeah. So, <laughs> it's just it's just uh, it's just a little bit out there. Uh, the problem with it is that they're choosing the songs one undoubtedly the longest sequences in the film uh, okay. dedicated to these songs uh, and these musical uh, numbers. And as well, on top of that, uh, we lose, uh, like I said earlier, the strength, one of the the backbone or one of the, you know, the, the tenet pieces yeah. of what the whole jokes, what the whole series or what they're writing is about. And that's just telling verbal jokes, yeah. you know, punchlines and, you know, and zingers basically. <laughs> so it's, 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 it's a little tough for that reason. Also, I think in going back to the smarter comedy, uh, action sequences like gunfights, again, necessary to kind of tell the story structure a little bit more, but these jokes are, Kind of like industry jokes, uh, like the one, the couple gunfights there are, they're all jokes kind of making fun of gunfights in movies. Uh, there's almost like okay. a meta joke to it. There's, and, there's commentary of present day 
Hollywood. Yeah, uh, like uh, you know, they're shooting. <laughs> it's 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 actually dude, come to think of it, it's it's really not that much more higher brow. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to actually think, clocking it back now. But uh, you know, there's there's little things like um, they'll they'll make a joke of how someone gets shot and and goes back super far, or someone shooting and playing right, right. <laughs> you know, playing tic tac toe out of a window, right. you know, window pane. <laughs> it's little things like that. I think that poke fun at. Gunfights in movies, yeah. and while I enjoyed them as a big film buff, I think also a little less funny overall. Sure, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Val Kilmer, unfortunately, is a bit of a miss in his first <laughs> performance. I was really rooting for him. He looks great, but I, yeah, it's, it's, it's not the best. He gets a lot of screen time and just doesn't have the comedic timing necessary, you know? Sure. Um, and you can maybe say that about the lead in Airplane, but... I mean, he gets it by the very end, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he really brings it home. Does so. he seem green? Like, does he actually seem like a new actor who's who's kind of mm. still settling in? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And okay. I think it just it shows that comedy is not going to be his career choice, oh, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think this being a comedy for, for Val Kilmer is a bit oddball when we look at it from a you know bird's eye. Yep, definitely. Uh, and I think that shows it as well in the performance. There's also an attempt at deadpan, too. Okay. If anything, he's looking at like a Leslie Nielsen in an in, in airplane and trying to maybe have a little bit of that. Honestly, as odd as it sounds, it, it lacks a little bit of star power to pull that off okay. as well. So, you know, yeah, again, I mean, this is early for Val. Uh, I'm going to... As early yeah. as you can go for Val. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. So, though, going back quick to the musical sequences uh, again, I think my my critique is that it's it's sacrificing verbal comedy for things that are just just sequences that are not as funny. There's a lot of physical comedy while these musical sequences are being played out. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit of the issue, though, is that again, it's just. It's it's kind of like the longest screen time uh, in they the drag. film. They, yeah, they make the film drag exactly. Yeah. And, and I think it also just works fundamentally that airplane never had a bit go longer than you know <laughs> a couple so you know a couple maybe three minutes at most. <laughs> <Yeah>. So uh, <laughs> I think uh, they're trying to experiment. They're trying to grow. It just is not landing, or it's simply not hitting that you know, like you said, lightning in a bottle yeah. with, uh, with right. airplane. Then I, I would say, other than that, you know, there are plenty of physical gags here, and I can't. Stress enough that the DNA is here for this writing team and directing team. Folks at home, I think this movie could hit for you if you loved, I mean, quite literally every ounce, every mm-hmm. single joke of Airplane, <laughs> because again, the jokes are all there. It's it's just as dumb. Uh, and I definitely appreciated aspects of this film that are clearly passion-driven and and trying something unique. You know, I, I, I really do think, you know, it's a gangster move to take something so so popular and say, yeah, we don't need to do a sequel and move on to something else. Unfortunately, it wasn't too successful. So, <laughs> you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. But uh, honestly, enough criticism of the film. I just hope to illustrate how a director and writing team can fall from an 82. We're going to go ahead and give Top Secret a 52. Oh, okay, 52. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a bit of a drop. But, I mean, when Airplane is so... There's a reason why everyone knows Airplane and nobody knows the name Top Secret. (laughs) Very true. You know what I mean? Very true. It's kind of told in the history. Yeah, it is. It really is. Yeah. Just as a sneak peek, what is after this one? Um, Naked Gun is the fourth that we'll cover, right? Yes, Naked... And the the first Naked Gun specifically, (laughs) which I, you know, I don't know what I'm in for. Uh, Is it going to be like a... uh... Bad? Yes, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Is it going to be like an Austin Powers? I mean, proto-Austin Powers, I guess, you know? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, the next one though is something. Oh, I forget the name of it. It's something okay. with Danny DeVito. So. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, yeah, that'll, we'll that'll be that'll be the, for the coming week. All right, cool. So that's top secret with a fifty-two, and I think your point is good. Where. If airplane really is your bag, and yeah. I mean really special to you, go ahead and keep watch these guys. And in ways, that's where I'm it sure. Landed, and like you, you, you know. were saying, basically, the time it is the DNA. You can oh, tell these yeah. three dudes were together. The jokes are the same, uh, absolutely. Yeah. In yeah. no way are they any different type of jokes than an airplane. Okay, that's awesome. So we're gonna move on. That was '84. This is just two years later. This is 1986. This movie is called Sid and Nancy. Uh, it's directed by Alex Cole. Uh, stars Gary Oldman, Chloe Webb. I don't know if I've actually ever heard of this film. Sure. And why was it on your radar, and, and what do we have here, basically? So, uh, I, I was, you know, there's a wide array, array in movies <laughs> this week, so... Yeah, this I like one, it, though. I do like it. Yeah, yeah this one was uh, off of Impulse. Sid and Nancy is one of uh, Gary Oldman's first films, and I was kind of craving more music biopic uh, coming off of being lukewarm on Elvis. Oh, okay. Um, just very simply, that that itch wasn't really scratched, and I, I, I wanted to dive into it more. Um, this film follows Sid Vicious, the basis of the Sex Pistols, uh, and really punk rock icon. Uh, I yeah. mean, we can... We can really see Sid's short life uh, have uh, have a, a big big impact on the scene at the time, and we really see also this film him burning the candle at both ends uh, to you know basically pass on at a very very young age. Uh, that cocktail of love and drugs is combined with his partner Nancy in this, and we see that basically spiral out of control. Right off the back, I don't know if that music biopic uh, itch is scratched yet. Because getting a different film, yeah, this yeah. is much more of a drug addiction story, you know, uh, flavored obviously around the the real figure of Sid Vicious. So the the film is punk rock and chaotic to the point of being uncomfortable in parts. Uh, but I think it is an impressive first person dive into the music scene at the time and how truly reckless it was mm -hmm. in the UK and and how that spilled over into the States as well. We get a little bit of that, uh, see that as well. And what was, so this was made in 86, but what time zone, what time frame was this? Uh, late 70s, I think, if I'm oh, correct. Okay. Uh, Vicious died on 1980 on the block and only of uh, on the dot. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> uh and was only like 21 so okay gotcha uh, you know very young and we we, we see a kind of a, a stream of consciousness of his his mind at the time because it's so fueled around drugs and, and heroin yeah. addiction to it so so gary oldman being gary oldman Young or not, how does he perform here? Oh, uh, great. Okay, great. he does. All right, yeah. And um, he's uh, so good. It's unfortunately, crazy. I'm forgetting the. Uh, the uh, Chloe Webb? Yes. Yeah. Uh, both are phenomenal. I mean, uh, I, that's where I kind of bring up that point that it's punk rock. To the point of being uncomfortable because mm -hmm. if anything yeah. they're very obnoxious on screen it's it's loud it's grating it's they're also you know, about as addicted as you get into heroin right, and on, right. on junk so it's you know i mean it's kind of sad to watch but wow uh do they both look identically like the real <laughs> the real world uh, the real world people and on top of that as well i think a lot is done for oldman to to have a musical performance, you know, Sid Vicious is mm. the basis, you know, you think about a music biopic and it's always going to be the front man and a singer, Absol usually. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so there's, there's, a, there's an interesting performance he brings to this because he has to basically, 
without being the singer, be the front man of the Sex Pistols, right, right. or the most iconic to it, and, and balance that type of performance on stage. So I do wish there was a lot more musical performances. I am a fan of the Sex Pistols, so uh, I, I wanted more out of that. But again, I think the best thing I can do for folks at homes. Uh, this is uh, much more of a drug addiction drama than you know uh, than a full music biopic. Yes, very much a story of the man too, and not the band. Oh yes, yes. absolutely. Because I mean, there's a lot there that is uh, turbulence and troubles uh, because of his dedication to Nancy and mm-hmm. vice versa. How that puts him on an island away from his friends and his right, bandmates, right? Okay, and, and and also further into the drug addiction yeah. as well. Uh, I will say there is definitely. Just so much time dedicated to, man, just just how much uh, is on the romance of of their love of heroin. It's not even the love of each other. <laughs> it's just how much they love heroin. Um, it's it's it really is. It is Sid and Nancy's story and their love of drugs, and maybe that's a no-duh type of statement right, that right. Sid and Nancy is about Sid and Nancy, but I, I just think a little bit more time shined on uh, on the musical performances of Sex Pistols or his career. Maybe, you know, have him acting out uh, in parties or anything like that. So much time is 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 not shown on that and instead shown on just directly these two and and really their 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 downward spiral spiral almost constantly with being with each other. Right, right. I would say there is that reality of heroin, there is a lot of realism there. Uh, it is center focus, it is messy, it is gritty and and hard to watch in a lot of cases. I would say this is different than something like train spotting that mm-hmm. train spotting has the same kind of outcome that's saying, hey, listen, this this stuff is is, is it's, it's yeah, no nasty, good. Absolutely. <laughs> Exactly, yeah. but in train spotting, there's there's moment of there's moments of joy, or at least bittersweet joy, that are communicated on on screen. That there is enjoyment to watch it with Sid and Nancy. There's almost no enjoyment watching it because it's messy yeah. because of the punk seed. It's messy because of the real world people yeah. involved yeah. that it's subject on, uh, and then it's also me- probably most messy because of, of the junk. Then no, very it's... different than train spotting, and I think that's a, an important distinction because I love train spotting. And... Oh yeah, and it's a classic, mm-hmm. and it's interesting that it's. How funny is it? It's like oh, the reason why Train Spotting was a little bit better was because there was light moments and there's happiness in that film. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. To this we at film, least have a good I, time when he's shooting up, you know. Which really goes to tell show like this one. Oh, no, it's like it's not a happy tale in, in whatsoever. <laughs> no, no, it's 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 a little tough. Um, one odd negative is sound mixing. Um, really? Yeah, and you know, I mean, we've been doing this for. You know, feels like an eternity now. <laughs> Sound mixing is usually not something I bring up. No, it's uh, for sure. We brought it up maybe once, maybe twice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sound mixing is tough here because not only do we have very, very thick British accents, those British accents are then slurring their words because they're they're drunk mm-hmm. and high. And then on top of that as well, there is just such ambient noise. Like anytime they're outside, you need subtitles straight up. You know? Really? Uh, yeah, it is. It is tough. I mean, it's already an uphill battle. You yeah. know, what I mean, they're they're not trying to sound posh. You know, yeah. that 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 type of punk. They they are specifically <laughs> trying to slur their words. If anything, you know, as as an fu to you know to right. anyone around them. Right, right. And then on top of that, we have you know. <laughs> 
the, the birds were louder than than Gary Oldman in one of the scenes. In, wow, that's interesting. Yeah, it was very odd. Huh. Yeah, and uh, and what's what's even weirder is I didn't per se really notice that in the musical sequences. You know, when like the Sex Pistols were playing. Sure. So, just, just an odd one. I don't know. Maybe it was a little bit more lower budget. I'm not too familiar with the director Cox uh, and his other works. Yeah, Alex, but... I don't know. It's, it's. I don't know. It's also 87. I mean, who knows? You're right. Yeah. Maybe who, who, what, what was the budget? But it's interesting that it was enough. It was noticeable enough where it was taking you well. Yeah. And the fact that you actually, you know, you have notes about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and maybe it could have been also a budget issue, depending on you know. This being six years later, it could be somewhat still controversial as a figure. You know, why are you right, making a right. movie off of this punk? So, uh, you know, who knows what, when it goes into that type of uh, environment. Either way, for watching in the here and now, folks, sound was, totally a, noticeable. Yeah, sound, yeah, sound was a little rough. <laughs> it was an uphill battle for okay. sure. Uh, like I said, I wasn't too big of a fan on the lack of spotlight uh, put on um, the Sex Pistols themselves and the progression. I really think this film could have achieved the same laser focus it has to say, you know, heroin is bad, drugs are bad, and how it overtook their relationship. If anything, show him failing to hit the marks, you know, right, with right. his bandmates. And there's some of that. I still think there could be much more, and you still kind of could call this a, a full-blown music biopic. Uh, I think this movie is a recommend for uh, lovers of Gary Oldman, punk, uh, and maybe even a gritty romance. But I think most importantly, this lands above average for the ratings because of the accuracy to the brief life of Vicious and uh, the great performance of Gary Oldman. We're going to go ahead and give Sid and Nancy a 64. Okay, 64. Pretty good movie. Yeah, solid movie. And if you're into the Sex Pistols or the story of Mm -hmm. Sid Vicious, it probably should be watched. Absolutely. Just with Gary Oldman, like... Just being so good, <laughs> and it, and it really is fascinating. Just just seeing, man. I mean this this was a kid. You know, what I mean this was <laughs> literally yeah, he was a, a child, yeah. <laughs> and and he made this much of an impact. You know, I mean there's there's something know, electric such few, about few that. amount of years. It's yeah, crazy. It's, yeah, it's wild. Absolutely. So all right, so sixty four for Sid and Nancy. We're going to jump ahead here to 2007. This is our Western for the week. <laughs> the longest title. It's Thank God we horrible, don't pay Tom by the word, a folks. Horrible <laughs> title. The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. Why can't it just be called The Assassination of Jesse James? Who knows? Right, right. Um, but uh, this is Brad Pitt. This is also Casey Affleck, mm-hmm. who, who you know, we generally enjoy. How was this? How was this modern Western? This, yeah. this modern made old school western i i think this western hit a lot for me um uh andrew dominic the is is, yep. is a pretty interesting director uh not much work but we have covered him before though correct has we done a film under his his um, well i think he oh you know that's because i was putting stuff on the site <laughs> i just like, he did killing them softly with Brad. oh yes yes he with did brad yeah. pitt yeah uh which um for what it's worth i mean a very unconventional mob film but mm-hmm escapes the is it good fellas or is it not good fellas you know pitfall right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I i would say you know killing him softly is a pass uh, and he's also directing the upcoming marilyn monroe a film that drops in september with anna de Armas. oh it's getting um, a lot of buzz right now yes, it's nc17 yes. oh, and yeah. it's netflix mm-hmm. yeah and anna de Armas. i mean yeah oh yeah my God. <laughs> <laughs> um so when it comes to that uh, this comedically long title is doing <laughs> a lot of the heavy lifting for me this week it's all right there no summary needed literally you know, the assassination yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. It's about the assassination of Jesse James and by the coward who? Robert. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's all there. So the story is presented in kind of a kind of a pincer. We get the the events of Jesse James' life played out, uh, and narration is given with historical perspective from a from a bird's eye. It's almost like a professor or some sort of historian of the old west or huh. Jesse James's life or, is giving the narration. I don't think we even get a, you know, who is narrating this. It's not like a character within the story. Right. It's it's not even like a Big Lebowski where we find it at the end. Right, right. Okay. It, it huh. is it is Did you like that or no? Uh, Would you have liked to see like that character? Oh, it's like, oh, that's the guy talking the whole time. Yeah, it, it, it was a bit Encyclopedic. Uh, it was. It was very by the books. Okay. You know? uh, was it helpful? It like was. It, it was I, I think. I think it gives a. It gives a good um, feel to the themes of the film, which we'll get into in, okay. in a All little right, cool. bit. But this pincer is. It, it. It sounds maybe intimidating, folks. It really isn't. I'm just saying this that you have a kind of a backwards narration to a forward progressing normal movie to you know the events on screen. Uh, a lot of solid 2000s actors here. We have Jeremy Renner. Yeah. Uh, one year before Hurt Locker, which of course we'll cover in a little bit, mm-hmm. um, and actually kind of inspired me watching Hurt Locker this week. Oh, okay. Sam Rockwell, two years before Moon, uh, and then of course we have our two leads, Brad Pitt and Casey Affleck, I believe just coming off of Ocean's 13 that same year. So, Oh, that um, makes sense. Uh, this is uh, an interesting time capsule because it's just so packed with 2000s, you know, mainline actors. With right, that. right. You know, it's, it's, it's enjoyable for that reason. Or at least maybe, maybe if I'm calling myself out, maybe that's some own nostalgia of myself you know kind of um, just getting into movies at the time you know in my formative years I think so this was also a very good time for film yeah, yeah, like absolutely. This period in the two thousands, it was film was still good. Yeah, Marvel still hadn't come out really was the thing yet. <laughs> right, right. But uh, two thousand seven, this is when Ocean's Thirteen came out. Yep, absolutely. The same year, actually. Yep, yep. Yeah, and, and both of them are right off that. So. Oh, so you're saying? Oh, yeah, I see what you're saying. Mm-hmm, Films, mm-hmm. filming is wrapping up, and they go straight. Through. I think so. They I, have I mean, to be, yeah. they have to be. Or I mean, yeah, who knows? Uh, so, I have a a lot to say about this film. It might be a bit slow. But boy, is it a good-looking film. Oh, really? Uh, the beginning train heist is a great example of that. Uh, and what do you know? I'm looking at this. I'm like, wow, this is, man, this is a killer-looking film. I mean, it's not the most exciting. Uh, it's definitely not the most exciting for a Western. But what do you know? Cinematographer Roger Deakins. Oh, and, and it's it's my boy. <laughs> so, yeah, he's done Blade Runner 2049, Skyfall, 1917, yep. oh, No Country yeah. for Old Men, which, by the way, 2007 film. Oh, okay. That's what I say, 2007 was a great year yep. for film. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely, but this guy knows what he's doing. Oh yeah, when he <laughs> when he's in charge of cinematography, it, it, is, it is a good looking film. Uh, and like and you said, it's not that it's crazy unique shots. We're mm-hmm. not getting specialty Tarantino quite mm-hmm. sequences, right? Mm-hmm. It's just a beautiful. It's just a pretty looking picture. Yeah, this uh, this train heist, and it's it's in the very beginning because honestly, heists are not the focus of this film. It's about kind of the death of the cowboy or the idea of the cowboy. The assassination of Jesse James by Cowboy yeah. Robert Ford. <laughs> it's right. It's all right there. It's all right there. <laughs> But uh, it's at night, and and just just how the the light of the train cuts through the trees in in kind of layers and whatnot. It's just like man, I mean, Robert Deakins is is, is a king. You know, I mean, he is I'm so. Sh- good. I got you shine a light because I never paid attention to cinematography before mm-hmm. we always talked about film. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy how much of a difference it is, how, how important that role is sure. behind the camera. Yeah. It's yeah. unbelievable. And I think you uh, maybe the first time you noticed it was in Skyfall. You know what I mean? I think both of us were like, wow. The, the, some of the shots later on in the film are just so gorgeous, and it's like, 
Well, that's the guy. Yeah, that's a guy. That's, that's the guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this film does not have your typical Western stylings. There aren't really shootouts. There are not. Is that way not, it's slow? Yes. It is two hours and 40 minutes, too. Yes, yes. Uh, it is, it's a big film that has basically one point to make, and it's going to really be slow to make that point, okay. essentially. There aren't really duels in the street. Uh, gun violence is very up close and personal and messy, uh, which, mm-hmm. again, I enjoy. I think that a great indicator of how we can define a a modern-made Western, uh, because, again, it wasn't these <clears throat> these bombastic, made me out at high noon. Right, you know? right, it right. Was, it was almost like, an, you know, it was... More realistic in a way. Yeah, or, yeah, it was maybe very... How messy. things more were were done back then? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, Did it rely so much on? Di- so we're not getting such huge action sequences or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's two hours and forty minutes. Is it, are we just heavy, heavy dialogue? Yeah. Are you listening a lot? Yeah, it's. Uh, I guess. I guess I can stop kind of prancing around what the concept is. The concept here is. We are in the late 1880s, and it really is the death of the cowboy. So what we see is not Jesse James's gang in the heydays. They're not pulling off train heists. The little heists that they do are vastly unsuccessful. Uh, hmm. Pinkertons are everywhere. Oh, you know what I mean? Right, right. Uh, the gang is being busted. And uh, when it comes to that, a lot of that is waiting in hideouts. A lot of that is criminals uh, attacking each other, you sure. know, because you know it's the, they feel it's the last days. They feel the the noose Desperate around to get their, their last, exactly. yeah, get away your last cash and grab it, yeah, exactly. So, uh, in that being the theme of the death of the cowboy or the death of, death of a of an era, if you will, yeah, uh, much like an Unforgiven would tackle. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Instead, we see this. If anything, the film gets slower and slower and slower as it goes on. Um, it's tough. I enjoyed it though. Okay, uh, I really did. I think because it wasn't Power of the Dog boring. No, no, no. That's good. That's yeah. good. Yeah, and, and and I enjoyed the the tale of it so much more. You oh, know, I mean, good. I was fascinated with what each individual gang member was going to do under pressure. You know what I mean? Uh, this on, I wouldn't call it an ensemble cast because it's really Brett Pitt and Casey Affleck here okay, as the leads and maybe even Sam Rockwell because uh, it's Casey Affleck's brother in this. Okay. Yeah, it was, uh, it, it kept my attention. Whether the, Whether that was just the visuals, whether that I was, I was interested with the tone it was taking, mm-hmm. a very somber tone with it. It definitely passed for me so and the, um, the acting good as well and that would yes. help to carry along absolutely yeah. uh casey affleck is a real standout just because of how much of a weird character he plays he kind of plays like a smiley idiot that slowly kind of hmm. takes in you know his surroundings like a sponge he's a child you know he's the kid's supposed to be a child in this uh, uh robert ford you know he's soaking up criminals around him so he sees how criminals react guess what that's how he's developing as 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 a young man then so um i would say the the disclaimer is just that again it has a very interesting you know approach to not being heroic western not gunslinging spaghetti uh it's matching its tone in in this depressing, sad, end of the gang, noose around the neck type of Western. It's really good in its execution, but it's just like slow as molasses. <laughs> uh, I mean, man, 
it is a slow death. It is a slow strangle of the gang itself. And I think there is some sort of execution there. You know, it is style matching yeah. tone. I don't hate the premise. Yeah. For sure. Um, it's just that, listen... If, it needs to be for you. Yes, yes. Not a if film you are not everyone. a Western fan, and if you're not a f- slow movie fan, this is probably double no for you. Yeah. Oddly enough, I wouldn't call myself the biggest Western fan, but I am a slow movie fan, and this was double yes for me because I could appreciate really what the slow burn yeah. tone of this film was going to be. I mean, I like um, that. I do. I really like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like I said, I mean, you know, for this setting of late 1800s, uh, it's a nice mix of outlaw legends and the West dying. You know, that's that's the kind of the mix there. You know, I mean, this is to the point that Jesse James has little... Not comic books, but, you know, like, uh, I don't even know what they would call them back in the day. Penny magazines or something like that. Okay, you know sure, I mean? yeah. You know, we have circuses capitalizing off of Western legends and whatnot. You know, sure, they're almost yeah, being yeah. perverted in that way. Hmm. And I, I like that time period quite a bit. And this film kind of tackles this because these Western legends, they would be bygone legends. They're not living up to the legend anymore. They're a thing of the past. And again, there's execution all the way through the film for that reason. Okay, very cool. I will say this film was doomed to be stuck in the 60s, unique enough to be worth your time, but painfully slow. However, I have to say, I mean, I have to really stress that the slowness of this movie, it is purposeful in design. In ways, it is hard to call this movie a western because of how the violence is presented but i believe it takes this very particular angle that someday all legends die some days though you know that the tales will come to an end and i find that to be a story worth being told within the genre much like an unforgiven mm-hmm. or something like that we're gonna go ahead and give get ready the assassination of jesse james by the coward robert ford a 70 on the dot Ooh, i think it cracks so it did crawl out of the 60s absolutely, absolutely. wow that's a great score and you're saying how it's not like your typical Western. Mm-hmm. You definitely need to be in a certain mood to watch this particular oh, film. Oh, for sure. It's not like, let's watch us a Western. No, <laughs> no don't no. put this on. Yeah. If anything, uh, think of the um, the kind of the slow tension of, you know, contemporaries of the time. Maybe a uh, There Will Be Blood. Maybe a, uh, um, you know, a No Country for Old Men. Right. You know, it, they're all kind of slow reflective in this way. This Western is of that type of... Styling, that type you of style. Know? Same year too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I just didn't make the cut. Like the other everyone, two. everyone was sad. You know, yeah. pre financial crisis. I don't know. Someone wasn't doing well. <laughs> yeah, I did want to say that. Was it a very sad and morose film? Like, did you not like? Did it affect you for that half an hour after watching it? No, your mood or anything? Or? If anything, I was I was real happy with the eye candy on screen of just okay. how good looking these shots were. And again, I, I liked how unique of a story that was being told. You know, what I mean, death of the cowboy. Can't say generic exactly. i mean that kind of sounds generic but mm-hmm. it's not we don't see it much on s- screen or done well yeah exactly i mean to have that much have that many cast members mm-hmm. and all performing well is also very helpful oh for sure for sure okay but uh that's i'm very happy to see that and pretty surprised yeah that one. i was surprised Especially too. Cause it just it's i know it exists it was mm-hmm. never much on my radar yeah. i just never had much interest in it definitely a deep cut uh, western for sure yeah and it, again it is that different type of western and mm-hmm. i think i knew that 
mm-hmm. that why I just always was like, well, when I want a Western, I want a Western. Exactly. But this does have its own time and place. Exactly. Okay, 70 on the dot for Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Um, that was, <laughs> We're never saying it again. We had never saying it again. Um, or maybe one more time for the yeah, close. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I have to. <laughs> uh, that was 07. We're just one year ahead. This is 08. And again, this is The Hurt Locker. And with Jeremy Renner, and this what basically you saw Jeremy Renner in this kind of like, oh, what else did he do after, <laughs> soon after that, or what? what? Well, so, so so the logic was this week uh, <laughs> I got Thor coming up, and then I watched uh, Jesse James, and I saw Jeremy Renner, and then I was like, man, I'm kind of in the mood for Hurt Locker, and then Jeremy Renner and Anthony Mackie are in here. Yes. Oh, yes. So I, my logic: oh, two B list Avengers equals one A list Avenger. <laughs> Come on. That works great, actually. Yeah. And of course, this is Catherine Bigelow directing, who has really gave herself a big name with this one. Oh, for sure. And with the Hurt Locker, what do we get here? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, really, more than anything, I was sitting down reflecting on some borderline ratings uh, on on the website, uh, and I wanted to test uh, some former ratings that I think were on the edge. Uh, I, this movie, I've been frankly dying to watch again because, again. It was kind of in my formative years of really loving film and, and deciding Get, what I like in the yeah, film. You getting, know? Yeah, you really getting into film. Exactly. This was uh, definitely... I remember when it first came out, we were talking about it and everything mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. Has it been that long, really, since you've seen it? Like, oh, t- yeah. Ten years... Uh, since we we put it on, on the original ratings. Yeah, yeah you know okay. What I mean? Oh, okay, all right. So yeah. maybe maybe... Yeah, okay. Maybe four years or five years or something like that. Yeah, uh, it might be, might be even earlier. I think it know? could have been... That those original fifty yes. that we did on the daily mm-hmm. ratings was me just saying movies. Yep, yep, and, and giving the ballpark to it. Right, and I yeah, I'll make a point to say this though, like people who don't think that we like you cannot say that we just throw numbers around. So Ooh. even just hearing that of the first fifty roughly is me just saying a movie and you thinking it. Right, right. Somewhere in your head, your criteria was there oh, because for like sure. Wrath of Khan was like one of the very first ones we oh, ever did on the right. site. That's right. And then you ended up giving it the exact same rating, and you had no idea. Because this <laughs> I, swear, was back when, I swear to God, yeah. Because for the longest time, folks, I had I was the only one in control of what the ratings were. Yep, he, we we kind of kept it blind. That's almost right. a quality check. If you and will, so when it. we did the Star Trek, the original Star Trek special, mm-hmm. and he rated it an eighty, and he was just like, "What did I give it before?" And it was the exact same <laughs> score. Uh, but anyway, I think that might have been Hurt Locker might have been one of those cases. Yeah, yeah. Regardless, um, how did it hold up to your score? How, uh, abs- uh, right on the money, honestly. And again, I-, I wanted to kind of study it because it's if um, it's a good movie too, uh, right? Yeah, there's it's a good movie, but it's also on a borderline that we have on the website that mm-hmm. wasn't maybe necessarily necessarily there in the original days of, of ranking, which is good. Um, Hurt Locker on the surface appears to be among the many post nine eleven uh, military action films. Uh, I think part of this is because Jeremy Renner plays such a such a very maverick, ura macho type of approach to being this, you know, hotshot bomb tech uh, right, in, right. in Hurt Locker. But it is all used so strategically to show the damages soldiers endure inter- eternally. This internal damage is not necessarily a a simple PTSD plot. There is much more of a of an arc here, and we see that actually in in kind of an opening quote that war is a drug. And I think this. 
this is what crafts Hurt Locker apart from maybe some of its peer films or some of the, you know, uh, a lot of the films that we were getting at the time mm-hmm. that, you know, and, pro-military. And, and after, too, as well. Not that there's all that many. Yeah. But there was a few that came after, too, that maybe, I don't know, you could put in, like, a generic bin, kind of? I or, would say even among Catherine, Catherine Bil- Bigelow, um, mm. uh, Zero Dark Thirty, right, I think right. this, this album does Zero Dark Thirty. Right, know? yeah. So, let's start with what makes a high-performing film for me. I think this is an excessively good-looking film. This film uses a lot of slow-motion shots and are a real highlight here. Uh, I would say in modern watching, the you know the technique may be cliche in 2022 when your favorite YouTuber can whip out a you know a red camera and do a slow motion shot, mm-hmm. uh, but I assure you it holds up because of the quality of the camera work in this and how it's used as punctuation in in important moments of the story. Um, you could you could really look at this film and say, oh, they're just choosing when a when a gun goes off or when an explosion mm-hmm, happens. Mm-hmm. But uh, these these slow motions are, are 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 punctuations to what is standing out in the characters and in the soldiers' lives uh, of of their rotation. The tension, you know, isn't like most most war films. It comes from the eerie absence or obscuring of who the enemy forces are. I, in like in, in many ways, it's almost like Dunkirk. I think Dunkirk. Kirk does it a little bit better just because we quite literally don't see a single German soldier in right. Kirk. Very good point. Um, but it works in a in, in a similar way that we don't see the enemy directly, so there is almost a horror film aspect to it that our our mind is are going wild and obviously the yeah. our characters that they th- are going thriller wild and as suspense well. to it. Exactly. And actually and you had just briefly mentioned it, we're following a a bomb specialist. Yes, a bomb tech squad. Um, that goes which into is, dis, their goal is to disarm yes, active bombs. Yes, yeah. IEDs, mm-hmm. uh, which were, uh, you know, a necessity in these, you know, Middle Eastern wars. Right, right. So, um, thematically, I think that unseen element works with being this this IED guerrilla bomb tech warfare because we're not seeing you know the enemy opposition establish mm-hmm. make these bombs or or come up with something you know behind the lines to you know we we don't see as an audience our villains if you will or the opposition finding out ways to outdo our bomb techs there are just escalating stakes more and more of just like wow they're up against a crazier scenario and it is non-stop for the whole ride yeah uh, it is it is what i really love about the the tension is with the pacing uh, of this film almost every scene is a combat situation um the film gives us a kind of a a rough day count to when this bomb squad rotates out of um out of service oh sure yeah uh or, or at least gets new you know uh, new soldiers in for yep. that um but we jump to the most important part of 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 the days left uh, in that day rotation, uh, it is all killer, no filler, you know. And again, that pacing, there is such an escalating nature of the unseen enemy. They're they're trying to, you know, they're trying to mess with the soldiers. Mm-hmm. You know, they're trying to push them to their brink. Uh, and there's there's man, it's just it is it, all killer, no filler is the note because it's. It's so enjoyable to watch and it's scene impactful. after scene. Yeah, it's yeah. V- yeah, very much is accomplishing that. Yeah. As far as just, I mean, ed- edge of your seat and gripping, exactly. you would say, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and it's, if anything, it's, you know, let's say if this was 
combat scene, almost every other scene, but it was just gunfights. I think that I'd have a very different tone with because I think there would be a, a almost a desensitization yeah, to it. Definitely. That it hits less. Because it's about a bomb defusal, there is a a natural ramp that happens up to mm-hmm. us as the audience as well as our characters finding out what they're stumbling into <laughs> you know right, <laughs> the, right. The, the the horrific uh, uh you know reality of what they actually have to defuse problem solving with the characters to do it and then finally getting the payoff to it you know each little beat has its own mini ramp to it and i think it's just it's just phenomenally paced you know it's 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 great yeah top notch acting wise anthony mackie and jeremy renner are great i think the conflict of these two is whether or not playing by the books gets the job done uh, but it's crucial to show the extremes Renner takes it to, and if this film is going to kind of drive home the war is dr- war is a drug type of um, theming to it, Renner has to be that extreme. So yeah. you could look at their relationship and say, I mean, yeah, they're they're on the two two different sides of of how to approach the situation. I think it is it, it pays off because the whole film is about you know what Renner is doing to push the envelope with it. And would you say his performance? I always, I always thought of this was the film that really launched him into real fame or real pr- kudos and props. Absolutely, you know, I think so. Too. Not that there wasn't things he was in this before. Obviously, he was mm-hmm. like we just covered, but this definitely put him on the map big time. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Uh, there's, there's just such a. Man, and uh, if anything, it's 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 Renner's usual. You know, what I mean, it's it's nothing that he hasn't done. But I think it's just such a good match to uh, the energy he can bring on screen mm-hmm. and the character he has to play as well. Yeah. you know, <clears throat> and again to that to that thinking of of you know just just how it's driven home. You know, Renner smokes a cigarette in ecstasy after a successful bomb mm-hmm. diffusing. <laughs> you know, what I mean, there yeah. really is. You know, they 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 try to sell this idea that. Yeah, it may be living hell, you know, in this war zone, but there is, you know, they take passion in this, oddly enough, you know, they take pride in it. So the theme is repeated constantly over through the film and just executes it flawlessly. Also, doesn't really get old either, because again, of that phenomenal pacing, we keep on kind of getting beats of, of conflict that we see that... Is it going to be uh, as enjoyable? Is war truly going to be the drug they want? Uh, because, you know, each, each scene is is becoming more and more nightmarish. So uh, there is a lot more I could praise in this. But I think if there is one area where I think this film falls short, and, and again, to the point of what I was saying, where where does this movie fall on a knife's edge in my own ratings uh, for the website and what, what you can see at home, folks? Uh, honestly, I think it's in one simple area. It is is with the probably the most intense Jason Bourne shaky cam I've experienced in a very long time. <laughs> you know, I think I think this is something that's maybe kind of a personal tolerance. You know, uh, how oh, how sure. tolerant uh, you know are I mean, you? Some people are going to love it. Some people are going to hate it. Exactly. And, and believe me, don't get me wrong. I. I think it's totally appropriate when they are in the bomb defusal type of scenarios. Yes. Uh, but uh, at the same time, <laughs> I mean, I don't need shaky cam all the time. I mean, it is it is constant. They, they are whipping it around, you know. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's, it's a little rough. So I think uh, if I had to maybe illustrate where, you know, that, that, that's, that cuts it a little bit, I think that... 
that type of camera work is a uh, a water a watermark, a timestamp on this film to mm-hmm. say, oh yeah, that's that's a early two thousands thing. You know what I mean? Uh, and I think right, that right. creates kind of an age quality to it, especially because shaky cam wasn't the most enjoyable. And I think for a good amount of people, you know, it's only going to become more obvious uh, the further we get away from the film. Yes, definitely, you know? absolutely, uh, it's going to stick out. Uh, maybe not a sore thumb for all, but you know, like a sore thumb. Uh, beyond that though I think this is a truly great movie there was no doubt in my mind that the original score was right on the money I think when a film borders on the edge of cracking into the the tenth spot you know like a 59 to a 60 for for example mm. I have full confidence in my ratings on why that doesn't break through however the must watch category is a bit trickier uh, particularly because mm-hmm. the funnel of 85 that we put with the site that was something done out of practicality but also for quality for folks at home you know yeah. uh, all 80s are are kind of considered great movies and must watches yeah, themselves you, but what's truly a must watch you know what i mean there is and there's a there is a large difference in just number of films that we have in mm-hmm. our catalog um mm-hmm. from 80 to 84 mm-hmm. and then 85 to 89 yeah almost it, exponential it, it is you a know very very large difference oh yeah even though maybe the numbers small amount of numbers Mm -hmm. in between but uh it it is like you're right Mm -hmm. when you're in the 80s it's a great movie absolutely you're seeing a very very phenomenal movie absolutely but the question is does it hit that 85 Uh, and i and i don't think it does uh and that's why i agree with my original ranking to it Uh, i think it's held back ever so slightly and and why i bring up a a a fringe case like a a 59 to a 60 or a 9 to a to a 10th degree sure uh i think that i am fully confident in any scenario on on our on our ratings calling heads or tails of why that is the case i think it's a little bit more ethereal uh for the for that 85 within 80 itself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's something I'm happy to explore and that's something I'm happy to revisit. I think Hurt Locker was a great starting point for that because I do agree with the original score of where it's a phenomenal movie, maybe has some aged aspects to it, uh, and maybe doesn't make that very, very slight hair to that 85. We're going to go ahead and give The Hurt Locker an 84. Yeah, and I'll be honest. So when we sat down, mm-hmm. you heard my surprise that you did Hurt Locker. Yeah, yeah. I was, I just, and I was like, oh, this is on the site, you know. Yeah, yeah. And you did know, and I do have to say, I think eighty four is perfect. Oh yeah, yeah, perfect because it is such a good movie. But mm-hmm. to say, is it a movie that, generally speaking, almost any audience should sit down mm-hmm. and watch this before you die? No, I don't yeah, think so. Yeah. That's but, not taking uh, the vast majority of good things away from it, but And I think an 84 for us that's what the 84 represents. Absolutely. You know, this Absolutely. is not your Rotten Tomatoes, don't <laughs> folks, you know. Uh I honestly think 84 is like perfect. Absolutely yeah. perfect. Absolutely. And I love years later mm-hmm. whatever system that you go off of is the same. Yes. Cuz that's where the consistent comes from. You know, Absolutely. It's, just, it's so important, so important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um okay, so And be something we explore more and more of what that hairline to 85 actually means in the grand scheme of things. Absolutely. I love it. 84 for the Hurt Locker, folks. And we're going to go ahead and take a... We have one more film left. We're going to go ahead and just remind people it's the value for value model. Do you like that consistency? You know, we always say we're fair, honest, consistent. And I think we live up to that pretty well. Of course, that's (laughs) up to everyone's opinion and everything like that. I think as we go week after week with five films a week from our huge hundreds of films of back catalog, I think people can see for themselves that there is 
an honesty to it. There is a fairness in how you critique, mm-hmm. and there is definitely a consistency with these films mm-hmm. and with these scores. Something you do not, you just don't get with other people. You're not going to agree with us on everything. Mm-hmm. It's just impossible. You right. are the critic. There's no way that we're going to agree with you completely on everything. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, not only are you pretty much there, we now have this 10 to 15 minutes of, of just like, oh, it's a fair. I disagree completely. Totally fair, though. Because sure, absolutely. It's a beautiful thing that we have. If, and if you're finding this val- valuable, folks, that's why we call it the value for value model. Mm-hmm. You can go on the dailyratings.com, go to the donations tab on the top right. If you're on mobile, it's on the home screen right there. And through any amount that you want that means something to you, whatever your value is, if you could send that our way. We appreciate it so much. We're mm-hmm. completely producer-supported. When you donate to us, you are an actual legitimate producer of the daily ratings, mm-hmm. and it's a big deal to us. We hope one day it's also a bigger deal for <laughs> anyone who does become a producer, but it's also saying, this is value for you guys, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you're enjoying it. And uh, you know, if you, if you don't want to give anything monetarily, if you could just tell somebody, a friend, a family member, if you ever hear it in the conversation, maybe bring up the daily ratings. Mm-hmm. Get us in the conversation mm-hmm. a little bit, and we appreciate it so much. Again, it's the dailyratings.com and head to the donations tab. Now, with that, Vim, we're going to go ahead and we're going <laughs> to. Uh, this is our big release. This is another huge summer blockbuster. This is we've now. Whiplash. Yeah. <laughs> we've now covered a handful of big blockbusters this year. Yes, yeah. This is Thor Love and Thunder. Mm-hmm. This is the fourth Thor movie, correct? Uh, yes, yes. Sorry. <laughs> and he was looking at me. Was like, Is that right? What do we? It's more so me not knowing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, what do we get with Thor: Love and Thunder? Here we have Christian Bale as bad guy. We have the other <laughs> culprits there, as yeah. we know. Um, <laughs> just walk us through. But, yeah. <laughs> walk us through a little bit and, and tell us. How they keep on trying to reinvent the wheel here. Yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, my condensed thoughts, folks at home, for the Thor series is that pretty much every single movie is exactly 50% good to great and then 50% meh meh to at worst Marvel trash, you know. Uh, it is really. Uh, yeah. It's like it's split that much. I really do think it's 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 split down the middle. Uh, wow. Entries like Ragnarok, I think, are very positive on the ratings because I like uh, enough of the uh, enough of the enough of that good side that it elevates it. But I really do think uh, every Thor entry is a, a very mixed bag. Uh, he kind of had a rough start with his first two entries, not finding this comedic spin, and then finally with. Uh, our director here, uh, we, yeah, we we have him kind of come into his own. And- did he do Ragnarok? Yes, yes. Okay. Directed, but did not write. It's, and it's right. He wrote this one. Yes, and very important. And what's weird is how much of it. Like it was quite a ballsy move to do mm-hmm. what they did. Let's take this character Thor, who's supposed to be the most oh, manly, yeah. badass figure. <laughs> right, right. And make him and, comedic and know? totally flip it on its head. Mm-hmm. And as we see for Ragnarok. Critic-wise, box office-wise, it worked. Yeah, uh, definitely a successful switch of the character. We see that as well in Infinity War and Endgame. Uh, yeah, which I thought was spin. garbage. <laughs> right. And I mean, that com- his comedic spin, I thought, was just terrible. Right, right, personally. yeah. Like Fat Thor. I, yeah, right, yeah, I understand was, that Ragnarok did work. Yeah. But the biggest question is, almost like we talked about with Airplane and, mm-hmm. and, and Airplane 2 and moving <laughs> on with those three guys, can you capture that again? Right, right. If anything, we've been leading towards this with uh, the, uh, with the comedy study. Yeah. 
<laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's, yeah. But is he able to do it? It sounds like no. It sounds like, like you said, very mixed bag. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely get into it. Uh, let me, let me, let me give a little bit more of a, a little bit more <laughs> preface here. So, um, like I said, I, I enjoyed Ragnarok quite a bit, uh, and that's important because this film is definitely trying to do Ragnarok again, um, but just much more comedic. I would say Ragnarok had a just such a great mix of inspirations, Master of the Universe, He-Man, Flash Gordon, uh, and it's the right mix of wacky, space, and magic. That is Thor's brand right now. And I think, uh, again, I'm not just saying this to... Sh- you know, short notes uh, for Ragnarok, uh, so I didn't have to watch it again. Right, right. Uh, it's really important walking into this film because that mix of wacky space and magic is now one hundred percent the formula. There's no, you know, there's not even a rem, you know, a, a a semblance of of what used to be in the Thor kind of mythos around Asgard and and and, and his family and things like that. You know, Thor is a loner in this basically. Okay, this fourth movie in the franchise takes the uh, just the hard turn into comedy last time thor was fat uh, for the finale of endgame uh, that's basically all you need to know <laughs> and uh the returning director uh you know he is he's writing here he is directing i think that writing side is very very important to take into note because he was not writing for thor ragnarok uh the new factor here is that you know, again, I enjoy a lot of Watiti's work. Uh, Jojo Rabbit was good. What We Do in yeah. the Shadows. I mean, like, good. Yeah, unique, really good. Yeah, good, yeah. unique, just interesting takes on things for exactly. sure. Exactly. I hear great things about um, the one film, something where the where the wildebeest are or something like that. You know, I hear good things about other other of his work as well, but I think for him to write this one was a big mistake for the entry. Okay, uh, there's a yeah. bad mix here, uh, and also just not that mu- not that funny. You know, what I mean, I- I'm a nerd. I'm getting the Marvel jokes being told. Not that funny. not that funny. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, the comedy infects everything. Let me repeat that: the comedy infects. <laughs> everything uh i cannot stress enough the aspects that the film dips into the serious side primarily christian bale Mm -hmm. primarily natalie portman and then also a little bit of mcu continuity which for lack of spoilers i can't get into too much uh it just meshes so extremely poorly and we can we can Mm. kind of break that down to it yeah a slight positive here there is a hardcore recap in multiple parts of the film to basically catch us up on on everything that happened uh in thor's life (laughs) especially for the romance between portman and hensworth okay I think this is kind of a good thing because for the first time in a very long time, I can say you 100% do not need to do the Marvel catch-up homework to watch oh, this film. you go ahead and jump into this. It'll yeah, take care of you. You really could uh, because there are that many, huh. you know... Um, you know, there are that many recaps. Uh, however, I, there's like five plus exposition dumps of recapping, and it's not funny or fun to watch. Yeah, I was going to say, as a guy, you being a guy who's watched all the properties, mm-hmm. was it just like, oh my God, if you cut this, it could be 45 minutes shorter? Absolutely. Gotcha. Uh, okay. You could definitely cut it. I mean, don't get me wrong, uh, it, it, it's trying to be funny in these recaps. But it's just really it's just not, not it's not yeah okay. it's just not that funny uh, in the recaps it, it it the the times that it's pushing into being funny is definitely 
in in the normal the normal proceedings of watching Thor on screen, interacting with Portman, you know, and 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 things like that. So, like I said, I'm kind of fifty fifty on it because uh, I, I like that finally, you know, we have something you don't have to watch. You know, it's so that's a great point. Five actually. plus movies for you know. I've never <laughs> I've never seen a single Thor. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> so that's maybe what, I'll jump into who it. Who knows? Just... <laughs> you gotta give it a dive. Get out your tickets. Uh, but yeah, I, I think writing wise, um, what did he? It, it really, it's, it's, it's bad writing. I'm sorry, you know what I mean. It's, it's almost it's, shocking that it came from him. Yeah, it's you know? like five plus scenes of just blocks and blocks of exposition, and I, I don't call that good on anything. Lazy, you know? lazy, boring. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I am fifty fifty on it though. If you know, if anything, you Tom, you see that and you're like, oh, that's kind of nice. I don't have baggage for it. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Natalie Portman, while a welcome return in my book, uh, that. I mean, Portman is one of my childhood crushes, so I was happy to see her mm-hmm. back into it. And she's she's a great actress, at least in my book. Um, I, I know that's that might be controversial. People don't like Portman entirely, but <laughs> <laughs> maybe Tom. No, I, uh, what's the other one that everyone confuses her with? Oh, uh, Kira Knightley. Right. Yeah. Which one is good and which one is bad? <laughs> I mean, there's one. I think one, one of them is bad, right? Uh, so Kira Knightley's bad. I mean, Kira Knightley. She did the. Uh, Who was the one in the Pirates movies? And... Well, oh. Leon the Professional. Who's oh, in Leon the Professional? That's Portman. Oh, yep. okay. We yeah, like Port- as, yeah. Yes, we like Portman better. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> anyway, she was good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that, that's kind of this film as well. It's like, yeah. oh, anyway, yeah, we're, we're back to the story. We're done telling jokes. <laughs> you know, I, I would say she she's good in the few, and I really mean few, dramatic elements in this around her character, mm-hmm. um, but she does not have the the Marvel sparkle to pull off the Marvel jokes. You know, uh, her comedic timing is just not there. And if anything, you can kind of feel the fact that she's been missing from the franchise. She she feels... A bit of fish out of water. Yeah, yeah, it really, yeah. really is. And, and odd to say, because every joke in the first Thor was him being a fish out of water. Now we have Portman right, being right. a fish out of water, which is a little bit odd. It's, it's just a bit of awkwardness. Uh, she's not fully up to speed. The romance has some serious moments as well well and the timing of the comedy is cut so damn poorly i mean the script pushes portman into her weak spot because of this comedy uh, okay. she's having good moments on screen and guess what the in script that, is dr- now when you do get those dramatic she's there yes good, absolutely yeah. there there's a there's a main plot element of why she's even involved with thor again okay. uh and a very personal reason uh but the script is pushing her into the bad spotlight. And I think that's where I want to highlight once again, you know, what TD's penning of this is, is, is just a mismatch. I like him directing in this. Mm -hmm. I like him directing Ragnarok, but it was just a mismatch. It's, 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 it's just a little bit tough. A huge draw for most of the average watchers of this film is going to be Christian Bale playing the villain here. Um, He looks cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. He plays uh, Gore, the God butcher, which is a pretty cool villain. Again, I, I, not that it's a huge point. It's not playing into the score. I promise you, folks. But we really are digging to the bottom of the we barrel. We are, yeah. We're we are C D list villains. You know what I mean? Bring Galactus <laughs> out already. We need some. Co- we need some cohesion here. But all right. But well, he looked cool as hell. Oh, I mean, yes. every clip that I saw of it, I was yeah. like, this. And it, he looked. It looked like a dark character. Oh yes, very. Yeah. Very. And and part of that. 
the darkness of the character mm-hmm. in combination with Bale is acting his ass off. Is he's he? trying to save this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. And he's so damn good, he almost carries the whole film on his shoulders. Is that right? I mean, Is that right? I, I enjoyed every scene that he was in. Um, I can't say I'm, surp- I'm not surprised yeah, by that. Yeah, he's having a lot of fun. I know there have, I feel like lately, especially among. Um, some hate of the Dark Knight trilogy that has been coming around online. Hmm. Bale has been kind of thrown to the side. I can't. Really? I, I'm a huge fan. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Absolutely. And and he really brings his A game here in a in a it it the gore as as a villain is is hammy. You know, he's definitely cartoonish. Mm-hmm. But it works among the other cartoonishness. What doesn't work is when that villainy and that menace is cut by comedy and. I, you know, that's not. It's rinse repeat. It's what I say about Last Jedi. It's what I say about almost every Disney property. How much? How, how much better would it have been if they solely kept this guy, Christian Bale's character, absolutely menacing and evil, yeah, and uh, left all comedy away from him? Uh, it, it, they do do that. He himself is not playing, t- telling jokes. Thank God. You know? Right. I, I don't mean that, but there is comedy. Based around him in a scene, yes, with other characters playing off exactly. of him or something like it's that. It's specifically yeah. Thor cracking a joke, and then it intentionally land not landing with with gore, right? Thor and gore. Oh my god, we're gonna get a right. with but, Hemsworth and Bale. But in it that, it work. also fails as a comedic setup because the joke's not landing even in universe. So guess what? It didn't land in the theater. Right. I probably got. Not even out of me. I, I didn't laugh once. I'll be honest. Uh, but uh, there was probably on on a pre release night, you know, packed with with the Marvel fans. Yeah, uh, five actually outbursts of laughter in the theater. Right, uh, which I think for what as I would describe Thor as a property. full comedy is, yeah. is shooting low. You know, but mm. my my mm. my issue with this is that you know it, it, it comes so close to holding it on the shoulders, but Thor and Hemsworth specifically cuts his ability to hold it all on yeah, the shoulders. that sucks. There's a minor plot point around Gore kidnapping some kids. Mm-hmm. And the follow-up scene are uh, the the people of the town uh, grieving, thinking they're gone. You know what I mean? The, 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 he, he, you know, basically tra- teleported them to another part of the universe. You know, they're, they, they're expecting they're not seeing their kids. You know, Thor walks up into this scene, and the first thing he does is it's it's like a bumbling... <laughs> Not funny, trying very much hard to be funny, awkward humor mm-hmm. of him like stumbling through and he's and he's rusty as an Avenger, so he doesn't know exactly what to say to the people. And I mean, like, not only is it not funny, it just completely destroys the urgency <laughs> of like you think, you know, Thor would just be taken off into space and finding right. these yeah. kids. No, he's he's taking time to crack joke to grieving parents. It's just like it doesn't work dramatically. It doesn't work comedically. It doesn't no. work. It, and as a film, it shoots itself in the foot yeah, so terribly. It's, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's just have to realize that real people are watching this. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. And, and I, I, I really was trying to listen because this was a pre-release night, and as as I'm, I'm almost you know a lot of all, almost every yeah, new release Thursdays, I'm seeing, yeah. uh, Thursdays or Wednesdays, um, Maverick was Tuesday. Maverick yeah, that was, was, a, spe- that was a special <laughs> one. They, they, they put that out early. They yeah, couldn't, they couldn't wait another two years. <laughs> I, I was really waiting for the the theater to crack up. I'm not going to be like a party pooper, you know. If you find something funny, you find something funny. Sure, sure, no, of course. Right. But it's just like it wasn't hitting. It was hitting with the yeah. with the MCU folk. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Similar to the inclusion of sprinkled characters, other comic book characters that we see in Phase Four, uh, 
the very same continues here with the Guardians of the Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, and where we left off with Endgame for Thor. Um, the music very much feels like that franchise as well. Uh, Tom, we now have a new music syndrome. Uh, instead, oh. <laughs> uh, this this film is almost entirely made up of Guns and Roses exclusively. It is all oh. just Guns and Roses. Really, and I got no problem with Guns and Roses, but I it's. Mean- I don't know. I don't think it's a praise. You know what I mean? It's, no, hell no. Yeah. no. Guns N' like, Roses is not that good to only <laughs> make up the movie soundtrack. No way. Right. And I get if it, they're going to use it for their main title song. Yeah, yeah. And for marketing purposes and mm-hmm. putting on commercials, I get that. Mm-hmm. And whatever, I guess that's fine. But um, it does feel lazy, the fact that it's... I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> maybe that if we bad. had Guns N' Roses through the era and then it like progressed with the band, I don't know, maybe there would be something there. But no, I don't think so. Yeah, it's it's basically plugging Guns N' Roses, that's your entire yeah, soundtrack. that's bad, you yeah. Know? So, uh, kind of a little bit different than your Suicide Squad syndrome, but again... Noticeable. Yeah, yeah, definitely noticeable and a new music syndrome among the many of the <laughs> podcast so far. Overall, just a very bit messy and... Uh, Man, I'll tell you, uh, for my hardcore Marvel fans out there, the MacGuffin at the end has some serious clawback for MCU continuity. Um, for how much the second movie is skewed on or skewered online for its one noteness, uh, this movie is very similar in quality that it is. Yes, the opposite direction, but one note in its comedy and really just erodes at the story, much how the seriousness eroded at the story for that second entry. It's a, it's a weird it's a weird pocket case. I mean, the Thor run of these four films, it's a mess. I think it's Ragnarok and uh, or bust, basically, okay, <laughs> as far as I'm going, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I wish it could be more, but it's just really not. Um, I think this is only a watch if you are absolutely Team Thor, sp- particularly liking Thor in Endgame, Thor in Ragnarok, this comedic spin, because it is clock to 11. Honestly, I see this film frustrating. A lot of the hardcore Marvel fans for how the comedy spits at MCU continuity in exchange for jokes that plain plain just don't land. We're going to go ahead and give Thor Love and Thunder a 33. Ooh, that's a bad score. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Man, we've been ended up in the 30s a lot lately. I know. I've, I've been holding no punches. I, I, there, well, good. I mean, there was a yeah. bit here that I was like... Does it crack 40s? And I honestly think, don't think it does. I think the, the, the film's a mess. Um, wow. Yeah. Can't say I'm surprised. <laughs> I know you're not surprised. And I think, I bet it deserves it. I probably won't watch it. It probably yeah, deserves yeah, it. Yeah. Um, but I know if I ever wanted to watch a Thor, uh, it would be Ragnarok. Or yeah. if I wanted to know what was going on, I'd watch this one for all the uh, expose. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It's a crash course. And, and then you get bail. As well. Oh, that's I do actually kind of want to see his character. Yeah. He did look yeah. cool. Wow. Okay. So 33 for Thor, Love and Thunder. I'll tell you, MCU, it's not, uh, they better come up with some Yeah. Better phase stuff here. four needs some, needs something to slap it together soon. Otherwise, I think they're going to have a it's flapping. Band- it's flapping in the wind yeah, a little bit. Yeah. They're going to have, it's going to get to like a point. Morbius's <laughs> bat wings there. Oh, yeah. You get, you count for the, the Sony uh, messiness yeah. of it too. Yeah. I think they need a, they need a big bad guy. They need to start hinting at a, a Thanos or, you know, like I said, you know, go through the rogues gallery of, uh, you know, big Marvel bad guys, bring in Galactus, bring in Silver Surfer, get this Fantastic Four reboot, the third one, you know, get yeah. it back in here already. We, we need it. Yeah, so. And Spider-Man's coming back too again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's um, endless. 
But all right, Vin, so looking at these scores here, is there anything else you want to add? We're going to roll credits here. No, uh, a little bit of a messy week, but um, hey, uh, listen, uh, I, I'm, I'm happy to always uh, review these films, and I really did have a lot of enjoyment this week. Um, even with Thor, you know, as much as I did not think it was a good movie, mm-hmm. I was excited to talk about it because I like talking about these these matters around I love Marvel it. and how I... much of a shit show it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Uh, but all right, Vin, uh, Vin, thanks for watching these films. Thanks for stopping by, as always. Folks at home, we're going to run this through one more time here. We have Top Secret with a 52%, Sid and Nancy with a 64%, The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford with a 70%, The Hurt Locker with an 84%, and Thor Love and Thunder with a 33%. Folks, we thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the Daily Ratings Podcast. enjoyed the podcast if you would give us a good rating or tell a friend about us if you're wondering if a film is worth a watch or just like to see more movie ratings from vince be sure to stop by the dailyratings.com where we have our ever expanding catalog of films also if you found value in the podcast or our site become a producer and go to the donations tab on the dailyratings.com you can donate whatever amount of value you feel you received from us you'll get a producer mentioned on the next podcast episode too We're looking to build this into something large and great, but also be independent from those corporate sponsors. So we greatly appreciate any support from you all. So thanks so much, and we'll see you next time on the Daily Ratings Podcast.